I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So you used to have a marketing meeting, you know, and it was everybody from marketing. And suddenly what you get is this sort of yin and yang thing where there are a couple of people from operations and finance in the same meeting. And it speeds the whole thing enormously. Yeah, it really does. And, and to your point about brainstorming, I think one of the things with video calls is people have to do a better job at listening because you literally can't all talk over each other in the way that you can when you're in a room. So, so I think there's actually better listening going on as well and more appreciation that everybody needs to have a turn. I, I, I completely agree. And also, you know, if you think about unconscious biases, you can't tell how tall yeah, someone yeah, is. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Th- And so there's something very egalitarian about that screen with nine people on it. Hello, welcome to Rory Sutherland's On Brand, brought to you by Alf Insight. In each episode, we'll be bringing together big names from the world of advertising, marketing and media to dissect and debate success, ingenuity and the future possibilities for our industry. And today we're talking about the changing face of the high street and what that means for big brands. And there's no better person to welcome here than Helen Normoyle, who's the marketing director for Boots in the UK and the Republic of Ireland. Uh, Boots came from humble beginnings, starting as a herbalist shop opened by John Boot in Nottingham in the mid-1800s. And it's now a household name with around two and a half thousand health and beauty stores across the UK, meaning that approximately 90% of the population is estimated to be within a 10-minute drive of a boot store. It's a brand that's certainly weathered a few changes across the years. So with plenty to talk about, Helen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rory. Thank you very much for that warm welcome. Our high streets are obviously looking very different to just a few months ago. So I'm fairly sure that nearly all boots were able to remain open for this due to provision of essential pharmacy services. Is that right? So that's right, Rory. We were named an essential retailer by the government because of the role we play in keeping people up and down the country healthy and well through our brilliant and dedicated um, colleagues, our pharmacists and our healthcare advisors, who've had a really important role to play supporting the NHS over the past couple of months. In fact, I suppose as a brand, you're, in a sense, you know, one of the few private sector brands which comes somewhere close to the NHS in the public's affections and in the level of trust they attach to it. Is that fair? I think that's right. And it goes back to our roots. You, you know, you've mentioned um, Boots being founded in, in the mid-1840s. So we, we're over 170 years old, so 172 years to be exact. So we've been around for even longer than the NHS. And over that time, we've played you know, an important role in the health of the nation. 
And so with the advent of COVID in particular, um, we're very, very conscious of the role that we play in supporting the NHS and just the phenomenal job that our pharmacists and, and pharmacists in, in other organizations as well have played a really key role in helping people, you know, recover from COVID, stay healthy and to, to prevent it. Um, and you talked about the trust that people have in the Boots brand and the affection that people have for it. We've really seen that come through over the past couple of months. Um, the, the, the level of appreciation that, you know, members of the public, our customers, have shown for our colleagues and the way our colleagues have gone above and beyond the line of duty to support their patients has been phenomenal. So if I look at our brand scores and our performance, we see that appreciation for, for, for our colleagues and for the brand itself really playing out. Our scores have always been really strong, especially on overall brand health and brand trust, but they're, they're stronger than they've ever been now. And I have to say, you know, without getting too emotional about it, I'm incredibly humbled to, to work alongside, you know, people who, in the face of all the fears, they're human beings like you and I, the fear of going out, you know, the fear of, of, of contracting COVID. They've gone out and done an incredibly great job in, in being there for patients and for customers over these very, very challenging and surreal times. And I think I'm, I'm, one of the things I've noticed about this crisis is that there's an economic question, which is that I think the populace now have a growing appreciation of people who actually do things for them. In other words, you know, essential services like, for example, the Royal Mail or Boots, which people are inclined to treat as just part of the infrastructure in normal times. And those brands, I'd even include BT and, infra and, and um, utility brands in this, the electricity companies, which tend to be treated just as infrastructure and taken for granted. Mm -hmm. um, both the people who do those jobs and the brands themselves, I think, have been suddenly in receipt of a greater level of appreciation than normal because we suddenly realize how extraordinarily dependent we are on those things in a way that let's be blunt about it we're not quite dependent on sunglass hut to the same extent yeah and i i i, I think that's right i think we've all experienced that because what what covid did if you're if we cast our minds back and it seems another lifetime ago when we first entered lockdown and the government came out and said in this lockdown period you know only leave your home when you have to you know, and only go out when you have to get essential food and medicines. It really stripped everything back to the question of well, what is essential in life? So, so utilities, groceries, health and wellness products, your pharmacist, you know, the role that boots play, the role that the grocers have played. It, 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 as you say, it stripped it all back. So it, it has really shone a light on the things that really matter and the, the things that we need to, to live well, um, you know, so as you say, utilities, groceries, health and wellness products. And what we found is that there is a real appreciation and a newfound appreciation, I think, and respect for all the people on the front line. So whether that's in Boots, whether that's in Grocers, whether that's in the NHS, whether it's in the people who do our rubbish collection, you know, all of these things are essential to a good quality of life. And if we look at care homes and care home workers, I do feel that there's a newfound appreciation and a gratitude um, which is being expressed, you know, when we go out every Thursday evening and we clap for the NHS, there's been a broadening of that in a sense of clapping for care hold workers, clapping for other frontline workers. And I think, you know, personally, I find that a great thing to have that appreciation for the people who are maybe a bit more invisible to us to show that they're, they're actually play a really critical role for, for us individually and for, and for society. And so one, one of the things that we did early on to kind of help capture this is we created a campaign called hashtag prescribe kindness um, because we could see that you know our colleagues 
needed a way to express their gratitude to their fellow colleagues. Our customers needed a way to express it. And so we, we worked with Ogilvy uh, to, to look at the insights that we were seeing, the feedback that we were getting from our colleagues and from our customers. And what we found with the campaign, which went viral very quickly in social, was it, it, it created a platform for people to share their stories. All those little acts of kindness, the small little things that really make a difference and really matter. So whether it's, you know, one of our colleagues on the phone to, to a patient who'd called up crying because they were at home, couldn't go out and had no bread. So who went shopping for them or another colleague who, who you know, moved out of her parents' home so that she didn't put them in danger, you know, by, by potentially bringing home an infection. And so she could continue to work as a pharmacist in Boots. These are incredibly moving stories. And so, so things like that, where you can shine a light on the wonderful humanity that we've also seen coming out of these troubled times. No, I, I have to admit, I saw, I saw Jules present those two words and I have to say slightly self-serving since I worked for Ogilvy but I thought it was a work of gene you know two words doing so much work as a kind of string on which you could thread any number of pearls I thought was absolutely glorious uh, it was you know, and it, it was you know, it was and it's an incredible insight because I do think it goes to, and, and the reason it worked for Boots and why Boots could do this authentically is because that kindness runs through who we are and what we do and if I look at the, you know, our, our customer satisfaction scores and our MPS scores and the feedback we get from our colleagues, and I think it's got to do with being a pharmacy or, you know, pharmacy-led um, health and beauty retailer, being in an organization that plays such an important role in healthcare, the empathy and the care with which we look after our patients really makes a difference. And so it, it really, it, it tapped into that. But what, 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 what I'm so delighted about is how it, it, it inspired our colleagues and it gave our colleagues because hashtag prescribed kindness has been used almost as much internally as it has externally and enabled our colleagues to go out onto Facebook and to their Facebook feeds and on social and to share their stories and unlock the pride that they felt in the job that they're doing for Boots and that their colleagues are. And I'm, I'm really proud of that because as I said, I'm genuinely humbled to work alongside such brilliant people, the people who go in day in, day out into our shops, our pharmacists, our customer advisors, our colleagues, the people who are in the warehouse, the people who drive the vans. They kept you know, th th these are the people who've kept the country running. And I, I, th I think a general revaluation of um, brands and the value they deliver to us. I mean, I always used to, is, is long overdue, because I always used to make this teasing point, which I, I still think is relevant, which is that why is it that things that are essential to us, uh, for example, utilities, are heavily regulated and it's considered, you know, almost immoral if someone who provides an essential service makes a small amount of profit doing so. Whereas in totally inessential areas of, of, of luxury expenditure, you're free to make whatever margins you like. And it's always struck me that there's an inherent contradiction there. That, um, uh, you know, that uh, you... you that you know things like electricity companies, which are essential every single moment of our day, uh, almost get more harshly treated than uh, organisations which provide us with just discretionary luxuries. And it's very strange. It's only when you think of it like that um, that you realise how strange it is. I think you'd benefit, by the way, doubly, uh, in the sense that not only are you um, uh, in the provision of really essential things, but you also have the slightly unusual position where you're still perceived as a local brand as much as as a national one. So you're a mainstay yeah. of the high street, for example. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that really came to the fore, and it's always been there in Boots, we're a community pharmacist. So if you think about our, our, our store estate, you know, you've mentioned, I think we've got about two and a half thousand stores. There's a real variety of different formats in there. But, it's, you know, a, a significant, you know, 1,500 of those stores are local pharmacies. So that's a really community-based role that we play. And we have a really important role to, to play in the high street. And as we look to a normalization of the situation and as to the high street opening up again, and our shops are already open, but as customers, you know, as people feel, um, one, they're allowed to come out as the lockdown eases. One of the really important things, Rory, in terms of getting things back up and running will be helping people feel safe to go out shopping. Because what we've seen at the beginning of the crisis, um, clearly, um, one of the things that was front, very front of mind for us uh, was keeping our colleagues safe and keeping our customers safe. So, um, and this has to be our first priority, and it is. So we've learned a huge amount over the past eight weeks. So we've listened really carefully to our colleagues in store and we've looked at what's important to customers. So we've changed a lot of our store operations and our messaging in store over the last eight weeks. And as we look to you know, the 15th of June where other non-essential retailers will open up and as, as we expect over time, more and more people to come out and to shop on the high street, um, the, the customer experience in store will be different and it's really important to us that people feel safe and comfortable shopping and that our colleagues are, feel safe and feel comfortable as well. So we've put in lots of new measures. So all of these new acronyms that we've now learned over the last eight weeks, so upgraded PPE, so personal protective equipment for our colleagues, new social distancing guidelines and equipment. You know, we'll have customer hand sanitizing stations and digital beauty advice. So in, in you know, pre-COVID, you'd go into a booth store for a beauty consultation. You try out the testers, you know, you'd have somebody applying makeup to your skin. You'd be in very close contact. In the new world that we're now in, we've got to, to you know, fundamentally rethink and reinvent these types of experiences. And you asked, you know, a question earlier on about digital, and that, that's where digital can definitely come in and, and help us. So we've put an awful lot of content out online. Um, we're looking at, we're having digital beauty consultations with our number seven advisors and Liz Earl. So I think our, our brands, many other brands, will be challenged to think about how we reinvent our services and the things that we've done historically that would have involved closer contact to how we can still give customers a great experience and meet their needs, but do so in, 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 a, very, in a very safe way. Um, and uh, as I say, we're almost, when we think about Maslow's hierarchy at needs, we have to make sure that that first step of feeling safe, that people are confident that their needs in that front are being met. You've done some very impressive things in the digital domain. I think, if I'm right, you repurposed your online store so that it was uh, very much focused on essentials uh, to maximise supply to people who needed, for example, um, deliveries or collection. Is that right? That, that, that's right. So in, in, the first, um, in the first part of the pandemic, when we were in lockdown, our absolute priority for Boots.com and for our stores around the country was making sure that all of the essential products that people need were prioritised and we had those on the shelf. Um, and, um, and, and for obvious reasons. What we've found then, obviously, the footfall to our store estate has been significantly impacted. But what we've seen is that our sales to .com have uh, almost doubled uh, over this period. And obviously, it's because people are at home. You know, people have been trying to minimize the number of trips that they take out. So online, you know, you, you probably, you might even have coined the phrase, Rory, but certainly have heard the phrase. Um, we've seen 10 years worth of change in 10 weeks. 
And certainly, I think, you know, while there will be a return to a new type of normality over the coming months, I do think we'll have rebased the digital experience in terms of how people, you know, shop online, kind of the services they use, the way they use social media. I think we'll see a huge, the continuation of all of those changes uh, going forward. And that's impacted us in multiple ways. So at the beginning of the crisis, we knew that people were really looking for, um, um, you know, authoritative um, advice uh, that they could trust. So we spoke to our chief pharmacist, a wonderful man called Mark Donovan, and we agreed that we would produce a series of videos um, every day uh, in, in, the, in the first few weeks and then a, a few times a week thereafter. Um, and we did a lot of social listening to look at what were people's concerns, what were the top questions that they had around COVID. And in the last six to eight weeks, we've shot about 84 videos, predominantly with Mark, and put them out across all of our social channels on YouTube. We've had a partnership with the Daily Mail, with the Mail Online, where we've put them out there as well. And we've had millions of impressions for them, Rory. We, we've, we've put out millions of emails to our customers as well. And we've seen you know, phenomenal open rates, double what we'd normally see. So it just shows, you know, in, in a time of crisis, people do turn to brands they can trust. They do want advice that they can trust. Um, and I think brands like Boots have a really important role to play. And as we come out of the, start to come out of the crisis now, please God, um, we're, we're seeing how we're having to adapt um, what we do uh, on the digital front as well. So just this week, we launched, um, for the first time ever, we launched a, a number seven product, our, our, our number seven advanced retinal product digitally. We've never done this before, and if it hadn't been for COVID, we would have launched it as we normally do, which would have been a huge launch in store, supported by online, you know, across TV, across social press and so on. But because of the world that we now live in, we've launched it digitally. And for the first time ever, it's a global launch, the UK this week, the USA next week, the rest of the world there after that. And, you know, we've had loads of great learnings. We've had, you know, about 100,000 people join the waiting list, 48,000 on the first day alone. We've launched it predominantly via PR, social, and our own channels. And we've accompanied it with virtual consultations with number seven beauty advisors. So again, I think it just shows how, as, as a brand, we, we, we have to adapt. We have to be where our customers are at. Um, um, because even in these times, um, people do want beauty advice. They do want beauty services because um, feeling good, you know, when you look good, you can feel good. When you feel good, you look good. So, um, so again, over the last eight weeks, there's been a massive focus on our role of as an essential retailer and the essential um, health and wellness products that we provide, and particularly in the pharmacy. But we're also seeing, you know, massive um, interest in search for hair dyes. How do I cut my hair? So we've produced a lot of content and put that out there, particularly in social and on our own channels, to help people through that as well. Because um, all the things that we, you know, many of us might have liked to have done, get our nails done, get our hair cut, go out, all of this has been insourced now. We've all, you know, developed the, a whole other set of skills on how to do home grooming. And so Boots has had a fun role to play in that by providing advice and information to people on that front as well. But again, it's, 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 it's about understanding what our customers' needs are and how do we best serve them, but really thinking about how we adapt and how we use, you know, digital platforms. And in our case, how we use the Advantage card as well to give people that more personalized um, experience. I, th I think you're a really interesting retailer because you're multi-channel in a sense which uh, isn't really matched by many other retailers in that you have this huge physical presence, but also, as you said, a very strong digital presence. Are you noticing um, or are you seeing this as an opportunity to drive 
uh, click and collect. So this is, a, just to explain my context, this is a bit of a bugbear of mine, because I think that um, click and collect, as developed by Walmart in the US, um, is essential. I, I don't think delivery of everything to the home to 22 million households. I don't think it's either environmentally or economically sustainable in some respects. Whereas if you have a very large um, high street footprint, um, that, you know, uh, encouraging Brits to adopt that as a behavior. And you can see, of course, um, in Wuhan in China, after the lockdown was partly released, what retailers started doing was they started selling bundles of goods so that you could effectively buy a personal hygiene bundle or a fresh food bundle without having to dither too long next to the shelves. And in the same way, ordering in advance and then collecting is another way of uh, minimizing the problem of social distancing, I suppose, within stores. Do, do you see yeah. growth in that? I mean, I've always regarded it as, as ultimately the future of online retail should be, I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting delivery to the home stops completely. I'm merely suggesting that the ratio of click and collect to home delivery is out of whack. Yeah, I, look, I, th I think that's a great point, Rory, and, and I'll cover it on, on, on a few different points. So I suppose to start with, click and collect has always been hugely important to Boots. You know, the majority of our dot-com orders, or a large majority of them, are picked up in store. And that's for convenience, because, you know, lots of people are out at work, and we've all experienced it's such a pain when you come home and you've missed a delivery. And then you've got to go to the post office, and you've got to reschedule it, and it's extremely time-consuming. And because of the reach of our stores, um, you can you can pick any store around the country to have your um, order delivered to. You know, if you're going on holidays, you can have it to, you know, maybe the seaside resource that you're staying at. It's an incredibly useful and, con and, and convenient service. So it, it always has been. I think going forward, uh, it will play a key role. I think environmental considerations will grow for people as they realize the carbon footprint of their home delivery. Uh, and it was interesting, a few months ago, I was in a taxi in London, and the usual, you know, moany conversation between a passenger and a black cab driver. I was going, you know, traffic is incredible. You know, why, why is it so bad at the moment? And the driver's observation was with, with online ordering, there are so many delivery um, um, trucks and, and couriers on the road now. That's what's clogging up central London. And then I got me thinking, well, this really is an environmental issue. Uh, and I think that people, you know, sustainability is growing in importance to people. It is, you know, and I think actually because of the lockdown, People are now seeing, you know, how much better air quality is. And I imagine, you know, I used to live in London. My son had very bad asthma when we lived there. And I imagine the air quality in London now is considerably better. The pictures that we're seeing of no haze or fog over cities, the way we're all commenting on how lovely it is to hear the bird song. I do, th I do hope that this is one of the things that we'll take out of the pandemic, an appreciation for nature and a, a recognition of, of, of the role that, you know, the cars that we get in, the transport that we take out, the adverse impact it's having in the environment. And we can do things differently. It is I, our gift to do things differently. I'm so pleased to hear you say that, because just as that photograph taken of the Earth from one of the Apollo missions was always regarded as a turning point in the environmental movement, because you could suddenly see the Earth from a distant point. Um, and you realised how, you know, self-constrained we are. You know, we, we, this is all mm. we've got. Mm. And in the same way, I think what we've had is a kind of product sample of a slightly cleaner, slightly slower, slightly less frenetic world. And we haven't yeah. disliked everything we've seen. I mean, one of the things I discovered, um, it's not only a question of working remotely, it's a question of working outdoors. And I suddenly yes. realized that when you, when you sign away your 
your life to an employer, and Ogilvy are, are by no means the worst, okay? I'm, I'm very grateful to them. But you sign away five-sevenths of your sunlight. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned this fact to, the, <laughs> and the, to a friend of mine who's Swedish, and he said, if you think that's bad in London, imagine what it's like yeah, in Stockholm, seriously, where you go yeah. to work in the dark mm. and come home mm. in the dark. Yeah. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah. And simply sitting yeah. and working in the garden with, you know, a little bit of surrounding wildlife doesn't actually feel like work. And so one of the one of the fascinating things that did strike me, and I, I mentioned this in the Spectator, I used the phrase "freedom of place" as well as "freedom of time," and that what we value as human beings is a certain sort of autonomy. And actually, the freedom to work at a place we choose is just as valuable to us as leisure time in some respects. That you know, the freedom to say, "Well, I'm, I am going to do this work, but I'm going to do it at home." Uh, you know, in the garden, in peace, rather than where you tell me to, has this extraordinary value, I think. And we'd never really noticed it because all economic models basically said there is work and there is leisure, as if the two were entirely kind of in opposition to each other. And so yeah, I think, I, I think yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. This glimpse of, I've got a friend who lives in the Barbican and uh, he's lived there for about 15 years and it's the first time he's ever seen the Surrey Hills from his apartment. I mean, how incredible um, is that? I mean, it really I just know. shows you, though, how, how we've, we've normalized pollution in our lives. And as I say, my son had asthma, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm more sensitive to it. And as soon as we moved out of London, honestly, his asthma cleared up. And that, that's when it brought home to me just how poor the air quality must be. Uh, and how it must my be daughter the same. You know, life so, yes, quality. you're absolutely right. Yeah. But then, so, so I think, so coming back to click and collecting, so I think sustainability will play a role, I think, over the long term in terms of how people think about it. So that will drive click and collect. I think on, 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 the, on, the, on the flip side, though, there will be people, you know, particularly older people at the moment, and for at least the next 12 months or so, who will be very careful about 
when they go out, where they go out. And so for them, home delivery will take on more importance. And, and so, you've done so something fantastic be, with, uh, is it free delivery of prescriptions, I think, is something you've done, that, isn't that, it? That's right, yeah. So, we've got to, so we, have a, we have a great online um, prescription service and we can deliver home for free. We'll make it, we, 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 we make it really convenient for people. And actually, on that note, Rory, I think what will come out of this as well is what I see with my own parents and, and my friends' parents as well, my parents are in their 70s, a real step up in digital usage uh, by 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 people and I won't you know people over seventy even over eighty, uh, because over the last you know eight weeks, um, th- those who you know have mobile phones or you know iPads or you know access to to devices that enable them to do video calling, uh, I think there's been a real step up because it's been the primary means of communication, the primary means of shopping. So so I'm really excited to think about how we can help. Um, people who will be self-isolating a bit more because they'll need to over the next 12 months, but, but help, help them ensure that they still have you know, a good quality of life. They get the products and services that they need. Uh, at Boots, we have a, an over 60s club. So we've been looking at what and how, how we can serve our customers in the over 60s club better and really help them on their on their digital journey, and maybe to get you know a, a digital ad card to download the Boots app so that they can shop more easily with us and get the products and services that they need. Um, and, and then we've also just um, uh, recently uh, uh, launched an online GP consultation service with Livy. Uh, and this allows patients to see a GP by video consultation in a booth store at a time that's convenient for them. So, so what I'm coming at is it's the, the well, I, look, I'm an optimist by nature. And, and, and I believe, you know, in, in any crisis, we've got to, you know, acknowledge it, but then look at where the opportunities are, what are the things that within our control and what can we do about it? Um, and so, so there's been some incredible learnings, you know, for, for me personally, for my team, for Boots as an organization about one resilience and, you know, we can do way more than we think we can. Um, and we can help our customers in ways that, you know, three months ago, we might not have thought, uh, thought about at all. So I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about the different things that, that, that we'll be able to do. And at the same time, recognize, you know, how tough and how, how, how challenging it is. But I'd say as a team, we, we had to go overnight from being, you know, a bit like you said, Rory, a team that, you know, predominantly worked from the office with, you know, trips down to London, you know, where people would work remotely to overnight, literally everybody um, working from home, working remotely. And, and spending the day on Teams calls. I mean, God bless Teams, God bless Microsoft, God bless Zoom, you know, video technology. The video bit of it has made all the difference. If we were just on mobile conference calls all day, oh. the ability to see people, that would have been brutal. I mean, really, really tough. But just being able to do it on video, it still feels we've kept that humanity and that human connection by being able to do it that way. And we're faster, we're quicker, we're more agile. So, and I'm not saying these as buzzwords. I think genuinely the pace at which we're working, because we've had to. Um, so, 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 as I say, I just think it's it's in, it's good to it's good to have this conversation and step back and reflect on all of the positives that have come out of this very so, tough situation. So you, I mean, as well. this is fascinating when you said it's a kind of ten year, you know, suddenly ten years of progress in the adoption of technology. Um, I, I've got a colleague on secondment to the Department of Transport, and he said all their transport models assumed that video conferencing would start to make a de- major dent on travel, but they assumed that it would happen 10 years in the future, and they've had to bring yeah. all those projections forward. Um, yeah. In the same way, if you think about it, there's an extraordinary asymmetry, and I used to rant about this, which is if you, were, if you learn to drive, you 
take it as read that you will spend several hundred pounds on driving lessons. You'll have to take a driving test. That you know, if you look at the upfront investment in time and effort to use a car, and then you suddenly realise that the same doesn't apply to technologies like video calling. In fact, you know, Ogilvy, which is generally yeah. quite good at training, we haven't really had any significant video calling training. Um, I was a huge early advocate two years ago with my own immediate team. What I discovered was a very interesting thing, which is if you give people permission to work remotely, they never do because they see it as a concession <laughs> and they're burning brownie points every time they do it. I had to say, no, no, you don't understand me. It's not that you're free to work from home. I actively want you to do so because we're more productive if we all do that one day a week. And it was only yeah. when I kind of semi-mandated it that I got any level of adoption. And, you yeah, know, that, and, that and fact, look at now. Look at it now. I know I feel slightly yeah. vindicated. I can also give you, you a good go. tech tip, by the way. Um, when you you'll probably spend quite a lot of time half working in offices, which are depopulated offices, with the other half of the team being remote. Uh, this is when you know people slowly start to return to the office. Yeah. The meeting owl. Now, you know, fair disclosure here. I'm such an advocate for this technology. They did send me one for free, but I'm otherwise unpaid by Owl Labs. But if you go to owllabs.com, it's a wonderful little 360-degree webcam that you could put in the middle of a meeting room table that effectively zooms in on whoever's speaking. Uh, and it's very, very good if you want to have a meeting which is half in an office and half remote. So you that's, that's my, my tech just, tip for the day. You, 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 thank you. You have made my day with your tech tip because we're obviously thinking about, um, you know, as a normalization of work. And you're absolutely right, Rory. It'll be a blend of people working remotely and being in the office because, um, you know, I, I, the, the bit that I miss is I miss the social interaction. I love being around people. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite looking forward to, to, to being able to go back into the office. But I think it, it'll be about the blend. So the, the, um, the, the meeting all that you've described sounds fantastic because the reality is we'll have a blend of people being in the office and people working from home and we're going to have to figure out how that hybrid works because it's easy when everybody's in the office it's easier when everyone is working from home um getting the blend right and getting it to work when when the reality is that we, we will end up working in a blended world probably forevermore um how we get that to work so thank you for that tip well <laughs> i think the heading same thing, out to the website wife... after this my wife, funnily enough, I'll, I'll send you a link, of course. My wife, funnily Thank enough, is a, is a vicar. And, you know, obviously, there's a huge value to people being in the same place, meeting as a mm -hmm. physical community. But I think the thing that will change is in the future, and this applies to business conferences as well, everything will offer both options. In other words, yes. remote attendance or physical attendance. Now, Nudgestock, I'm going to plug this shamelessly, but our Nudgestock conference, which was mm -hmm. going to be in Margate because we'd outgrown Folkestone and was going to have a capacity of 600 people. It's on, on the 12th of June, nudgestock.co.uk, just to mention it. Um, we decided to go global and virtual because of this crisis. Now, the extraordinary thing that's happened is, A, it's 12 hours of extraordinary behavioral science starting in Australia and ending in Hawaii. Um, but we've actually had, um, I think it's 13,000 registrants, and they're coming in at 1,000 a day. I suddenly realized, hold on, by the time we finished, that's a premiership football crowd. Okay, not a very good one. But, you know, in terms of the scale, that's an immense event. Yeah. But it's fascinating because, you know, and that's why I think this is so exciting, because we're, we're reimagining things in a way that if we hadn't had this crisis, we'd never have thought about it because we wouldn't have had to. And if I can just give you a small personal example, 
but it makes me smile because I mean, who would have thought? I, I'm I'm from a small village in County Limerick, in, in, in the west of Ireland, and we've got a lovely little church, and my, my, my parents go to church every Sunday. So the, the church, and bearing in mind, you know, the parish priest is probably late seventies, early eighties, you know, lovely man. But the church now web streams, you know, that they, they, they have a webcast. So I can log on and I have and I can join a service at the church from Adair. I could never have done this before. Um, and my parents, who had to self-isolate, were be able to attend mass. Were able to attend mass every Sunday just by logging on. And you think, wow, you know, if, if you know, very traditional parish, you know, with very traditional parish priest is adapting to technology in that way. Um, just think, and that's what I'm saying. It's another generation. So that's why I'm quite excited about what this means for people who would otherwise you know have been more more isolated or more alone there's a way to, to connect because I, I do and again speaking personally I do think one of the things that's come out of this is we are quite ageist as a society and I think there'll be a lot of reflection on how we treat older people um, and, and and I do hope one of the things that comes out of this is that we will treat older people we will treat people in care homes we will treat care home workers with more respect um, and, and, and place more, more, more value in that and place more value in that last stage of life. And I do think technology has a role to play in that in a way that, as I say, we might not have thought about before. And I know certainly in Boots, we're looking at what we can do with, as I said, with over 60s and so on. One thing, one thing I want to mention, you've described the Advantage card as the jewel in the crown for Boots. And I would argue that when we come out of this uh, crisis, First of all, it's worth remembering that everybody has been affected very, very differently. There are people like me who, you know, if I'm being completely candid, mildly enjoyed the experience. If you're in a nightmare flat share with no garden, I imagine it's been utterly yep. hellish. And so yes. the consequences for people have been incredibly uneven. But what all, always happens in a crisis is that economists always make this generalized view, which is everybody will be looking for value. And what you see in reality is that everybody behaves in wildly different ways and in many cases actually becomes more extreme in their behavior in both directions. So they'll both become uh, you know, more value conscious and more extravagant depending on the category. And so the advantage card to me strikes me as absolutely priceless now because it's even less safe to generalize about human behavior as it would yes. be normally. Yeah, I, I think I think you're spot on. It, it, it's down to, and also, you know, your definition of value could be quite different to my definition of value, because it's, you know what, what what matters to me. So yeah, so look, the the ad card is a jewel in the crown for Boots. We we've had it now for 22 years. So and over that time, we've developed a really rich understanding of our customers, and with the you know advent of technology that enables us to connect with people really one to one and to really personalise uh, our communications to them. Uh, it just gives a huge, a huge um, advantage, no pun intended, um, because we, we can show up in a much more meaningful and relevant way. And I always think, you know, great brands are relevant and they're useful to, to, to their customers um, and they're fun and engaging as well. And so with the ad card, because we have such a good understanding of our customers and because our customers, you know, really trust Boots, um, we, we, we can target them send them information that's relevant and useful. So whether that's content, whether that's product and services and advice, um, whether that's offers, you know, on products, categories that they like, we have a level of personalization that we can do 
that really benefits us. And we've seen that again over the last few years, over the last few months in particular, when I look at the engagement that people have had with the program, the open rates that we're seeing and the communications that we're sending through, you know, it, it, it really shows that when, when we can tailor and, and, and make things more personalized, the difference it makes. And so that's a big theme that's running through all that we're doing in, in, across our marketing is this concept of mass personalization. I'm so old that I actually worked on the launch of Advantage Card all those years ago. <laughs> and I can remember a very early discovery in personalization, which was obviously I think the Advantage Card leans female. You'd expect that. Yes. But nonetheless, the base is so huge that there are quite a few, you know, there are several million male Advantage Card holders. And all I can remember was I think a Christmas catalogue sent out where the only personalization I think was on the cover. Um, but what it did is it defeminized the cover for male recipients. So in other words, uh, if you were a chap, you you didn't get much in the way of, I, I'm, I'm really straying outside my comfort zone here, moisturizer and foundation, and those things. But you tended to get razors and, you know, electrical mm -hmm. goods and, 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 and man stuff. Yeah. And then, um, and so with our knowledge and understanding of customers now, so with the, with the comms that we send out and the way we can personalize journeys, we can be really, really tailored. I'm saying this slightly sotto voce, but one great thing for marketers about this thing is that suddenly most business questions are behavioral and marketing questions. You know, so the, the traditional focus of business around, you know, the efficient delivery of something has been you know, slightly diminished because you can't answer any of the efficiency questions without actually answering first questions about how people are going to respond and how they're going to act. So the elevation of marketing through this event, I think has been quite significant. And the value of disaggregated customer information as opposed to an average, which never captures much. Oh, I mean, absolutely. averages hide what's most important, I think, in information. You know, because the really oh, interesting information yeah. is at the extremes and they tend to cancel out in an average. It is. It is. And, and, and that's absolutely what we've seen. And, you know, one small example of something that we did is we were able to identify, you know, within our ad card base uh, through the parenting club, which of our customers were pregnant women. And so we were able to send them tailored information about the, you know, things they needed to be aware of about COVID and how it can impact pregnancy. And again, on those cams, we saw a 75% increase on our average open rates. And our average open rates are pretty good. So again, it just shows when you get tailored, personalized communications that's, that are relevant to you, how useful that is to, to your customer or to your, or, or to your patients and how we can target, um, target people in that way going forward uh, by giving them products, advice, information, services that, that are really useful uh, to them. As, to, as opposed to Rory, as you say, a broad, you know, a broad average. And I think going forward, because, you know, COVID has impacted different groups in different ways, it will continue to do so over the next 12 months. So really understanding that and understanding how we can best serve people will make all the difference. And in terms of innovation, in the sense that um, uh, most innovation starts at the edges of something, doesn't it? You know, yeah, it's always worth remembering that, that not much innovation starts in the middle of the market. And so yeah. having early notice of new behaviors that are being adopted, even by a smaller group, is of yeah. a huge value, I think. And, of yeah, course, the ability exactly. to launch innovations selectively yeah. uh, is of yeah. immense use. It is, and that speed as well, and get the learnings, you know, and keep iterating. I mean, I always have, I always have one weird suggestion, and I, I, I by all means reject this because you're a proper marketer and I'm really just a kind of impresario. But I've always thought that marketing and innovation and R&D should sit in the same department. And my yeah. argument is 
they're, they're two yeah. sides of the same kind because you can invent yeah. something brilliant, which if you fail to present it in a way yeah. that's newsworthy or interesting, it's merely yeah. an invention. It's not an innovation. Yeah, look, I think, um, so whether it sits in one department or not, I think it has, they, they, these, you're absolutely right. These are the, you know, you need, you need people from those areas sitting around the table together because um, we need the data and the insights but you need really good instincts as well because, you know, data and insights don't tell you what to do or, you know, customers can't tell you what they want. They can tell you what they think. They can tell you what they think they want. But when you combine that with trends, with an understanding of technology and with the potential of technology, that's where, you know, that's where the magic happens because then it's like through that brainstorming we spoke about earlier on that you can look at the potential of technology in the service of, of, of human needs and of customer needs. Because I'm not a big believer in technology for technology's sake. It's all about how is it going to help improve, you know, an experience, a service, a product. And so by having the right type of conversations with, with people from R&D, you know, from insights, from data, and from marketing around the table, that's where you can have the real fun and come up with these new things. No, it's fantastic. I mean, I remember talking to someone naughtily, I think it was Tim Mason at Tesco, saying that um, it was only through club card data that they discovered there was this fantastic opportunity for, uh, I mean, but this was before gluten-free, it was effectively allergen-free foods. Yeah. And they said, you know, if you looked at it in an aggregate way, uh, you would have regarded it as a fairly irrelevant category. And then you realized that for a significant minority of your customers, it was the single leading driver to go to Tesco. Exactly right. And that's how we look at our ad card and we can identify what products are small but trending and then combine that, you know, with, with the great data that we can get from Google as well. And that can give us a really good view as to well, what's a flash of the plan versus what's, you know, fundamentally a change in behavior or a new emerging category or product and how do we amplify that and that's what makes Boots such a great partner for so many brands as well to come and bring their products to market because we we we, we can give that real connection very quickly to people who will be interested um in, in 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 the product or service that they've developed no that's fantastic and i'll have the Ehrenberg bass institute on my back for this but nonetheless there are contrary to what they say there are those products like gluten-free ranges which are of very heavy significance to a small number of people and one of the reasons i always think these uh, loyalty programs are of value is you cater much better for minority consumer taste but you also cater much better for minority brands which are important uh, yes. So that, you know, you know, if you have a particular brand of cheese, you won't delist something which 100 people love. Instead, you'll delist something which 1,000 people like, as it were. You know, it's much yeah. better to delist something that 1,000 people quite like than to delist something that 100 people absolutely love. And so yeah. understanding and it, that yeah. distinction always strikes me as a very important way to support, you know, new and growing brands in many cases. I mean, you know, yeah, some of the interesting brands you list now in, in cosmetics, for example, would be an example of that. Exactly. Exactly. And if you combine that with the, the store estate plus dot com, because dot com is our more endless side where we can have them all. And through the ease and convenience now of shopping dot com. So if you've got the app, you know, you're a couple of clicks away from buying anything you want. You've essentially got a whole store, your whole flagship store in your hand when you have the Boots app or you go to Boots dot com from, from your mobile. So so it, it is it is about all, all of those things it's about ease it's convenience about understanding what people want you know making sure that we've got 
the ability to give people the products they want, where they want, when they want. Um, so this is where it all comes together. The insights through the ad card and understanding it, the reach of the store estate through, through booths.com, the ability to do click and collect because it is such a convenient proposition. And for the you know environmental and sustainability reasons we discussed earlier, Rory, I think we, I genuinely think will grow in importance for all retailers uh, going forward. Helen, it's been yep. an absolutely fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for your time. I hope all your listeners reward Boots for their fantastic performance during this crisis uh, with their lasting loyalty. Thank you so much. It's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much. Lovely chatting to you. Take care. Well, that's all from this episode of On Brand. This podcast is brought to you by Alf Insight. Uh, for more information on powering your business growth, visit their website, which is alfinsight.com, predictably enough, alfinsight.com. Uh, the series is produced and, if I may say so, expertly edited by Ultimate Sound and Vision. You need some pretty good editing when I'm doing the interviewing, I can assure you. And to make sure you receive the next episode, please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, then maybe give us a like. Thanks for listening and uh, goodbye for now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.